Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Good morning, Sunrise Church. How you doing again? All right. You know, I'm Pastor Anthony Roddy. For those who don't know me, I'm so excited about this series. How this series changed your life? Yeah, it's been great to dig into some of these tough questions over the last couple of weeks. I, I think the, the most unexpected blessing for me is how many people have come forward and just shared things that they've been secretly struggling with, whether it's faith and doubt or gender and sexuality, issues of racism in the church. And so I think if nothing, if nothing else, I think the big win is that a burden has been lifted on a lot of people. They don't have to go this alone, that we could actually talk about tough things. You know, Pastor Steve, I totally agree there. I mean, this series has changed my life in a sense of how I look at people, how I view people, how I minister to people, because there's a lot of pent-up tension and struggles and things we never heard of until we began doing yeah. this series. And, and we've barely scratched the surface. We know that. Um, the questions that have come in, we haven't even gotten all of them. I mean, there's things ranging from divorce, suicide, abortion, drug use. And so maybe, uh, maybe in the new year we'll come back and do this again. But uh, we've barely been scratching the surface on this. And I would definitely agree with you there. And that's why life groups are so important. And we can't cover everything here. But what you can do is get amongst some friends and really unpack all of the challenges. And you can dive deeper into those things. So if you're not a part of a life group, I need you to go out here after church to the next step table and get plugged in. But before we get into our last topic today, uh, we have some something coming up uh, next month, new series. Yeah, brand new series starting next Sunday. We're calling it Family Hacks. And those of you who know what a hack is, it's like a little trick, you know, a, a tip, a how-to. And so that's what we want to do as a church. We want to provide some practical how-tos for families because we all got one. All of us have a family, all of us play a role in our family, and so we want to give you some take-home resources even as we look to what God's Word has to say about how we can improve our families starting next Sunday. So we want you to begin to think of who can you invite, a friend, a family member, a best friend who needs to hear how they can make their life better along with their family, amen? But that's for next week. I want to get into today. We're going to talk about, as we wrap this series up, the role of men and women in the church. Yeah, and so we thought it'd be a bit tone deaf if it was just two guys talking about men and women. So we right. thought instead of one Riley and one Garcia, how about two Rileys and two Garcias? Yes, <laughs> I agree. So with that being said, we're going to invite our wives up to the stage. My wife, DeAndre Riley, and Pastor Steve's wife, Kate Garcia. Give All right, hand, yes. Amen. You can do better than that. Ladies. Ladies. <laughs> So on most weeks, I'm the one fielding questions, and so for today, I want to start off by asking the question. So first of all, thank you, ladies, for accepting the invitation to come up and be a part of this. Um, and so the first question got asked on a, on a Sunday morning service. Uh, it was texted in by somebody, and, and this was the question. It says, why does Christianity seek to oppress women? Uh, and so, you know, I think when we look at the, the Me Too movement, uh, it unearthed a lot of healthy things. Um, for example, sexual exploitation in the entertainment industry, gender pay gap between equally qualified people. There's a lot of healthy things that came out of the Me Too movement. One of the unhealthy things has uh, been questioning all institutions, specifically the church, that 
they have been intentionally trying to push women down. Is that what you believe? Is Christianity the belief seeking to oppress women? Deandra, why don't we start with you and then maybe over to Kate. We're just going to jump right in there, huh? Just <laughs> feet first and to deep end. Um, well, first, I do not believe that Christianity seeks to oppress women. I think if we go back to the very beginning, from the moment sin entered into this world, God's perfect plan for us and how we would live and treat each other was broken. And so Christianity itself is not seek to oppress women, but we as human beings who are faulty, frailty, we have our flaws, right? Um, we get caught in thoughts and processes that probably are oftentimes lead to oppression of women within the church, but it's not necessarily, I think, God's um, plan for us to oppress women, men, children, anyone. His ministry, Jesus' ministry on earth was totally contrary to oppression. Um, but I think as we look at this word, oppressed, it's a very strong word. Yeah. And I think we can hear it and it lands really hard like, oh, do we want to talk about that? But I think it's important to recognize that there can be oppression on a spectrum, right? So we can think about what we've seen in the news in other countries um, in regards to religion and how women may be oppressed in other places and think, well, that's not my experience, but I I think it's important to recognize that um, oppression can ha happen on a spectrum, maybe more veiled, less um, abrupt or in your face, kind of um, just maybe silent, unspoken messages that we kind of just live by. Nobody really says anything, but we know that's kind of the tone and what's happening here. And so I think if we can keep that in perspective, even as we're talking about oppression, so that we know that everything is not just going to be these two extremes, nothing or completely. So there's this space in the middle that we can um, kind of view this conversation from. Yeah, and I, I love what you said, Deandra, like as far as Sometimes I think it's easy for us to just package it all together and say Christianity is Christians, <laughs> you know, and so that when we've seen like hurt done through people who claim to be Christian, we assume that that is equal to Christianity. When really when we are looking at what Christianity says, we have to look in the Bible. We have to look at Jesus, who is the foundation of our faith. And when we look at the life of Jesus, like you said, he's the exact opposite of oppression of women. And I was, I was actually just thinking as we were singing this morning and thinking about this topic of, of um, a passage in scripture where Jesus was interacting with a woman named Mary who brought this oil to this dinner. And there are all these men there and these disciples there. And, and she broke this oil at Jesus' feet. And the men were like, what are you doing? You're, you're wasting money, you know? And Jesus in that moment takes this opportunity to value this woman and basically tells the guys, you guys need to stop. And you need to look at her. What she is doing is an act of worship. And her, what she's doing is going to be remembered through the ages. It even says in, in um, Mark 14 that when we share the gospel, we're going to talk about this woman, Mary, and what she has done for me. And so even in that moment of watching how Jesus takes this act of worship of this woman, basically puts men in, in their place for this situation and lifts her up, I think is a beautiful example of, of what Christianity actually seeks to do for women. Yeah, and that was unheard of in a male-driven, you know, Middle Eastern culture. culture. Uh, yeah. Pretty incredible. Yeah. All right, all right. I forgot to give the ground rules, huh? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, uh, we don't yell out. We're not passing the mic. We don't have enough time for that. However, um, please text QUESTION at 909-281-7797. It's there. We, we can grab those questions if we have time. 
we will go over them here, but remember, if we can't answer all the questions, and we can't, we actually go live on Wednesday night, and we also answer the rest of the questions um, during our um, newsletter. So go to sunrisechurch.org, sign up for the newsletter, and you would get those every Thursday. And so again, write your questions down. Please send them in those two different ways, okay? So with that being said, I want to kind of pull more on this word, oppress. So this question came in. And the next question is, if Christianity doesn't oppress women, why does it teach women must submit to man? <laughs> hey, let's look at God's word. Let's look at the, where, where this is coming from. Uh, let's look at Ephesians 5 together. I think we've got the verses up for the screens. Uh, I'll read just a couple. Uh, verse 22 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, when you read this passage, one verse really jumps off the page. Wives submit to their husbands in everything. What extent does that really mean? Uh, ladies, what have you been taught? What's your understanding of submission uh, and and and? especially in this context. Uh, Kate, maybe we can start with you and then over to Deandra. <laughs> it's okay. Deandra, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> you got, got your back. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think um, especially in the context of the church, uh, growing up, I feel like the idea of submission, especially like you said, submission in everything, that this verse has been used in a lot of ways to hurt women. Mm -hmm. um, and I have sat across many a coffee table with a woman pouring their heart out, a wife who is basically saying that their husband is demanding them to do things that they do not feel comfortable with under the umbrella of submission. And I feel like super uncomfortable with that and it makes my heart sad and I really think it probably makes God's heart sad to hear the twisting of that word submission. And so I think in our culture, the understanding of submission is, is just really misunderstood. And because of that, we can read this verse and it can make us feel, I know like in the last hour you're like, what's the, what's the little motion that you do? I don't even know if I have a word for it. It's just kind of this thud in the pit of my stomach when I read this verse or hear it read, um, like you were talking about over time, the context of which has been taken out of and how it's been applied to women in relationships and what, um, how they should act and be and think and all of those things. And so one of the two things. I think that initial feeling I feel is probably related to how I've heard this scripture used and also cultural experiences about how we also see this, this idea of submitting, you know, as a woman to, um, to your husband. Um, but what I also recognize is as I've come into a relationship with God and had the opportunity for him to soften my heart and my mind, I recognize that this and, um, word here, submit, actually brings me more peace and comfort and joy because I recognize that the union that God has brought together in marriage and submitting to my husband who is going to be supportive and understanding and strengthen me and build me up and we're doing that for each other. So being able to submit doesn't become this thing in the pit of my stomach. It becomes a joy in my heart to be able to do, not without conflict, don't get me wrong, it's not always easy, he'll tell you. <laughs> He's right? rubbing his head. We have our moments where it's like, no, I don't know about that. Um, 
<laughs> but even that is a process of working through with God and working through with each other and being able to find that safe space, that place where God allows both of us to connect with him and then with each other. Yeah, I think that this particular passage has been so badly misapplied, and I think that the church has a spotty track record with this, and on behalf of Christian men everywhere, I want to say I'm sorry if that has been your experience. Um, let's talk about what submission is and what it's not. So here, here's a couple of quick thoughts. First of all, the question asks, why does it teach women must submit to men? The Bible does not. It does say wives submit to husbands. This has to do with marriage, not all situations. Um, and, and so that, that's the first thing. I mean, if you're a single woman dating a, a man, you are under zero obligation to submit to him. That is for the marital relationship. Uh, the second thing is this. Submission is not a forced choice. When you look at the, the word submission used throughout the New Testament, it's primarily used as a choice that, that someone makes. It literally means to put oneself under willingly. Can either of you think of an example in Scripture in which Jesus himself submitted? I think the first thing that comes to mind is like the greatest submission of all when Christ decided to lay his life down on the cross and then when he's in the garden, he's praying to God, like, if this cup can pass from me, please, let's think of another way. Is there an option one, two, three? What, you know, what can we do here? And he says, but Lord, ultimately your will be done, you know, and that's such a testament to the relationship that they had. And that's, and I love, I love that picture of Jesus submitting to God the Father. And then I think when we even like expand that picture to think of the love of God the Father, right? You have two, two entities in this situation. You have God the Father and Jesus the Son. And you think about the relationship that they've had for eternity, right? J Jesus and God the Father were in relationship with each other for, from beginning of time. And the, the love and the trust that had built over time, there's just such this beautiful picture of the fact that Jesus trusted the heart of the Father. So much so that when God the Father says, lay your life down, Jesus, of course, in his humanity is like, really? Like, can there not be another way, like you said? But ultimately, God, be, God the Father, because I trust your heart for me, I am going to do this hard thing that you're asking of me. And so I think there is in this scripture the picture of the beauty of submission, and there's also the picture of the beauty of the love and trust that God the Father has allowed for Jesus to have. Yeah, it was, it was clearly a free choice that Jesus made. I think the word submission has such negative connotation. Like the, word, the way that I hear it most of the time is like in the context of an MMA fight right? A submission hold, you know, like you get this image of like this bloodied up muscle bound dude twisting another guy up until he taps out, you know, what a beautiful picture of marriage, you know, <laughs> force them to do something until they tap out. And, and I think that's the image we have of submission. But when you look at the scripture as evidenced by Jesus, it was a willing choice done out of love. And in fact, the gospel, uh, us responding to, to, to Jesus to forgive our sins requires submission. It requires me saying, Jesus, I can't save myself. I submit myself to you. Uh, so submission is a willing choice of putting myself under. Here's, can you show me how that headlock thing works? <laughs> just wanna, just uh, I, well, I could, I could show you, but that wouldn't be appropriate. Um, here's another thing. Submission is not for wives only. One of the verses we love to just skip over real quick is Ephesians 5, 21, right before all of this conversation, where Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Guys love to leave that one out. Uh, scripture commands us to uh, make sure that we are th- looking at how to outserve, outlove one another. We're going to dig into that passage much more next week. But remember, this passage of Scripture also talks about the man's role, which is to love his wife like Christ loved the church. And when you hear these stories about uh, husbands who are abusing their wives physically, um, emotionally, even at times sexually, and saying, you need to submit to me, what they are doing is asking their wives to live up to a Christian standard while they themselves aren't willing to do so themselves. Uh, And so the reality is that submission does not supersede the rest of what Christians are called to. If you look at just a couple verses earlier, Ephesians 4, 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. That's not for married people. That's for Everybody, including married people, not just just for married people. And so submission is not like this separate category outside of the greater call for Christian living. You know, and then the last thing is this, is that submission does not mean inequality. That the, the role of the husband is to love his wife sacrificially. And if he's doing that, if he's making her feel loved and supported and encouraged and trusted, um, empowered, safe, secure, I think she's going to have an easier time submitting to that, but that that doesn't imply inequality. Um, You know, it it seems, well, if the woman has to submit, that means she's she's less valuable. There's a difference between design and value. As you mentioned, Jesus himself submitted to the Father in the Garden of, of, of Gethsemane. Does that make him less valuable than God the Father? Jesus is, in essence, God. The Father is in essence God. The Holy Spirit is in essence God. It's one of the most beautiful and most complex Christian doctrines there, are, there is. The Trinity, the three-in-one God, all equal but have different roles. And the same is true in Christian marriage, equal but different roles. Amen. And I think that's something we can, the principle we want to glean from that is Christ is the standard whether you're a man or a woman, he is a standard, so we ever so trying to be like him. So you must first get it right with him if you're single. And if you're thinking about marrying someone, uh, amen. <laughs> the standard's there. But again, like Steve said, and what I like what Kate and DeAndre said, it's, 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 we say when we do marital counseling, your responsibility is to outlove the other person. Mm. If the competition is love, and that's what we're battling over, that means we're both winning. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to compete, compete for love, Mm -hmm. and the rest will take care of itself. I like what we're doing here. Okay. (laughs) This question is the next question that came in. Uh Uh-oh, it's getting a little deep. Question three. Why are there women teaching on stage? Doesn't the Bible say they are to be silent? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. In church. That was one of the Houston, questions. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so there's two separate places in the New Testament that talks about this issue of women being silent in the church. Here's the first one. I think we have the scripture. It's 1 Timothy 2. Paul says this in verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. The broader context of 1 Timothy has to do with pastoral authority over a church. Now, here at Sunrise, the elders of this church 
have entrusted a certain degree of pastoral authority for me. Now, I have invited Deandra and Kate to be up here. They have, they have come under my authority. They're, they're not speaking under their own. By them, I ask them, hey, share your insight, share your, your, your experience. Give us what God is, is telling you. How is that overstepping authority? It's not. They're actually just accepting my invitation. Uh, and so, so for you ladies, as, as you hear this, and you, you, what have you been taught, what has been your experience in your life personally or with other women when it comes to this issue of silence? Uh, D'Angela, let's start with you first. Well, my mother is here, and she can attest to this. I've never been a silent person. <laughs> so I have to be totally honest. Look at your husband right now. <laughs> and he will definitely um, back that up, um, something that... Amen. We still have to go home together. Just smile. Just smile. Smile and nod. There you go. Smile and nod. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, it kind of gives me that same feeling that I get about the word submit because silent means you're kind of just, to me, it sounds like taking away somebody's voice. And I think when you take away the voice of people that God has created in order to be in partnership in the world, right? Think of Adam and Eve. To take that away means that we are in some sense void of some things because we're not hearing, we're not learning, we're not engaging with another perspective other than our own. Um, And so within the church or within a biblical context, I think that can be a very dangerous place for us to be because I think we can miss out on a lot of opportunities for the truth to be heard and touch people in different ways as we include those different ways of seeing the world and, and, and understanding God's word. Um, but yeah, I definitely think there is a place for us to be silent and reflect. Like I ask myself these three questions. Does this need to be said right now? Does it need to be said by me? And does it need to be said at all? Right. So those are the things, the questions that I ask myself when it comes to speaking about something or engaging in something or asking a question or wanting to understand something, because maybe it's not the right time. Maybe I'm not the right person. And maybe it just doesn't need to be said at all. Right. Or um, and that's something I might need to talk to God about. So I think there's different ways to kind of look at this text. But I most definitely know that God wants us all to have our voices heard and be a part of the community of our church and have each of us um, be a part of that. I think um, I don't relate because I'm very quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Um, No, I I think it's interesting because this verse actually um, played a, a part of my life growing up and it was a struggle for me. Because I'm not a quiet person, I have, I love to learn, I love to talk, I love to share, I love to be a part of, you know, good conversation, and I feel like for a lot of of growing up in the church, I felt like I wasn't allowed to be in those circles, I wasn't allowed to have those conversations, and so I feel like I often struggled of, like, I don't think I am a Christian, a good Christian, like, cause I talk, you know, and like, um, and so I would practice like trying to not talk and that never worked. And so then it's like, I don't know how to be a Christian woman if being a Christian woman means I'm supposed to be silent. And then that even went into as an adult, I would be involved in like an example would be a, a women's leadership um, group I was in was led by a man and Um, So we were talking through what are some ways that we can um, help lead women through the Bible, through difficult passages of the Bible. And his response to that question was, 
that's not what women care about. They just care about what's for dinner and how long is the car pickup line for school. And I was like, hmm, well, okay. And I think in a lot of ways, whether spoken or unspoken, that has kind of been and for a lot of Christian circles, the feeling for women is you can have a lot to say about food and gossip and all, well, all the things you girls like to talk about. But when it comes to the Bible and significant conversation, let's leave that to the men. Mm-hmm. And that was always a struggle for me. And of course, incredibly <clears throat> demeaning when, when misapplied. Yeah. Uh, and so really at the heart of this is understanding how to interpret scripture. So here's the other passage in the New Testament that talks about this. And these are, these are complex passages. This is 1 Corinthians 14, 34. It says, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, every real estate agent I know says the most important thing you need to understand about real estate is three words, location, location, location. When it comes to interpreting the Bible, the most important thing you need to know is three words, context, Context, context. Context is the culture, the background, the circumstances in which something was written. And it'd be foolish for us to not acknowledge that there's some cultural implications of these verses. The context Paul was writing in was, first of all, in the city of Corinth, a city so wicked it made Vegas look like Sesame Street. Okay? There was so much sexual deviance. Men and women were cross-dressing. It was really inappropriate for women having leadership roles, especially because of how they were dressed. It was the same as what prostitutes wore. And then men would sit on one side, women would sit on the other, and they were both receiving these prophecies from the Holy Spirit, and they're screaming them back and forth. And Paul had to step in and exercise some spiritual authority and say, guys, this church is chaos. This does not reflect a God of order. And so he did instruct the women to be silent, but it wasn't just the women. He also instructed men to be silent, especially when they were were speaking in tongues and didn't have an interpreter. And so we have to understand the context. And when you have difficult passages, our temptation is to go to extremes. Let me give you an example. I think this is not even the most complex passage. The most complex one is actually three verses earlier, or chapters earlier, 1 Corinthians 11. I'll put them up on the screen. This is Paul speaking, uh, 1 Corinthians 11. He said, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. Jump down to verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is to her glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering? What's so hard about that passage, right? So, so here's the thing. What do you do when you come to tough passages? The temptation is to go to one or two extremes. Number one, apply all of it, meaning we take a look at the passage and say, this is not just a description of the first century church. It's actually a prescription for all churches. In fact, there are certain denominations where women wear their head coverings in church. You probably know some. It comes from this passage. They are applying it all. And so if we were to uh, apply all of this to the, the context of Sunrise Church, uh, first of all, both of you women would be a disgrace because your heads aren't covered. Um, and uh, anybody, you, you both have long, beautiful hair, but any woman in here who has short hair 
you would be a disgrace. Any man who has long hair, you would be a disgrace. Any man wearing a hat, you would be a disgrace. In fact, our worship pastor, Pedro, was wearing both a hat and has long hair. He's a double disgrace, right? <laughs> and then take the issue of silence. If we were to apply this, to apply all of it, we shouldn't have been singing this morning. We shouldn't be having people welcoming each other. Uh, and all, by the way, the, the female volunteers in our kids' ministry, they shouldn't be teaching any of the boys. Uh, so, so we already have a problem, okay? So then we jump to the other extreme. Apply none of it. Throw the whole thing out and just say, ah, that's for another time. It was written for another culture. It doesn't apply to me. What's dangerous about this is that you can discredit every New Testament doctrine by saying, ah, that was just written by a bunch of guys a long time ago. It doesn't apply to me. So there's got to be a, 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 a correct way of doing it. Here's the key. You look for the theme that ties all these passages together. It's beneath the cultural application. And the theme that runs through all of these passages that Paul is talking about is not that the problem was women, but that the problem was men. That there is a need for men to lead. And that the church is better, Paul taught, when men lead by pursuing Christ. The family is better when men lead by pursuing Christ. The cultural application of this was that it was inappropriate for women to be speaking. But here at Sunrise Church, it's not culturally inappropriate for, for women to speak. Uh, we have women worship leaders. We, ha we have women in, in the highest forms of leadership. Here's just a couple of examples. Um, Diana Alvarado overseeing our human resources. Samantha Jones overseeing our finance. Uh, Sarah Milbrandt overseeing local outreach. Paula Cassell overseeing discipleship of women. Debbie Gaunt overseeing kids ministry. These jobs require large volunteers, uh, large amounts of volunteers training people, keeping people in line, uh, that requires women to speak into the lives of men. The issue is, are they exercising spiritual authority over the church? And that's what Paul was saying is, is not to take place. I believe that women should be teaching and leading in every level except one, and that's the role of the pastor. Let me give you another example. In 1 Corinthians 16, 20, Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, let's say that we apply all of it. What implications does that have on our greeting team? <laughs> Sign up now. <laughs> okay, so if you're, a, if you're a greeter in this room, okay, we need to redo your training, all right? Yes, you need to be welcoming. You need to hold doors open for people, but it's time to pucker up, okay? <laughs> or let's say we apply None of it, okay? Okay, people need to open their own doors. Nobody needs to be welcome. Nobody needs to say, that was for a different culture for another time. But what was the undercurrent behind that idea? To be welcoming to God's people when the church gathers. And so our cultural application might be a handshake or a hug or a COVID-friendly fist bump, right? That's how we would culturally apply, but the undercurrent is be welcoming. And so I think that, that for what we could learn from these passages is that let's identify the predominant theme, and that was Paul calling men to step up and pursue Christ in leadership. Which brings me to the last question. <laughs> what does Sunrise Church, well, does Sunrise Church ordain women to be pastors? So the quick answer is no, uh, but before I expound just a little bit, 
let me just say this. I don't think this is a, a primary doctrine issue. I think it's a secondary one. Uh, it's similar to, I bet you know people who go to churches that sprinkle as a form of baptism or that practice communion by drinking real wine, you know, or practice uh, charismatic gifts as a part of the worship service, like speaking in tongues, for example. Are they not Christians? Uh, should we stop being friends with them? You know, I, I've worked in churches that have ordained women. I have friends who are, who are, who are in churches that, that ordain women. I don't think it's a primary issue. Even amongst our own pastoral staff, there's disagreement on this. But in order to function as a church, we got to be on the same page on these things. So for baptism, for example, we believe at Sunrise Church, the Bible teaches baptism by immersion, going full under the water. And in order for us to function as a church, we got to be on the same page. And I think the same is true when it comes to the understanding of the role of pastor. And so here, here's the passage that I, I think is why I believe this is a role reserved for, for some men. It's 1 Timothy 3, and it's talking about the qualifications for an overseer, which is where we get our word pastor and elder. This is what it says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. That's key. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And he goes on to say several other things. Now, notice these are all character qualities. We're not talking about head coverings anymore. And the first thing he says of a pastor elder is they need to be above reproach, which means they're living out their faith, they're not hiding anything. But the second thing is husband of one wife. The most common translation of that word husband is man. The most common translation of the word wife is woman, which means the pastor elder has to be a one woman kind of man. But the key thing is, it's a man. It's hard to get around all of the he, 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 he. And, and when you, when you look at the, the qualifications, it seems that God has reserved this one role, the spiritual authority over a local congregation, to some men. Here's an example from creation. God created something unique in women, and that is the potential to bear children. Not all women, some women. Men can do just about everything else women can do but this. Uh, no matter how hard I try, I will never be able to bear children. This is something God created uniquely in women with that potential. But here's the thing. Women can't do that on their own. They need help. And guys sure love to help on that one. Um, when it comes to the church, it appears from Scripture that God has said that the role of pastor is reserved for the man. Now, women can do just about everything else a man can do except one, and that is the role of pastor. And it's not even for all men. It's some men. But here's the deal. We need help. And Anthony, I, I think you would agree that you and I are not who we are, who we are now, if it weren't for both Kate and DeAndra. And I will affirm that because I believe behind every good man is a great woman. Um, and when you find that great one, you're good to go. Um, there's such a weight um, with the pastoral gift. Um, but I'd be a fool not to take things and listen to what my wife has to say, some of the things that's on her heart that's pressing. Um, so the two shall become one. So I affirm, but I also want to affirm what you said about 
all men are, are not called to be pastors. Matter of fact, many, Jesus said, few will become because it's a daunting, uh, challenging task. But without support from my wife, I can speak for me, um, and, and for the congregation, it, it can't it can help. It can't work. Totally agree. Amen. You know, again, if you have any questions, we have to wrap it up now. But if you have questions, please text question at 909-281-7797. We will get to your questions because just like we honor God, we want to honor you with your time. So at any time where you have a question, text that to that number. Also, you can go to the actual email address, sunrisechurch.org, and list your questions. And what we've been doing is we've been categorizing them. Uh, we've been doing Facebook Live and sunrisechurch.org on Wednesdays at 6 o'clock. But then also on Thursdays, we actually answer the rest of the questions through the newsletter. So this has been a great conversation. This has been a great time. Have you guys enjoyed this series? I mean, I'm growing so much. And I love the challenge. I know Steve loves the challenge. But now I want to challenge you. Maybe what we're saying is foreign to you. And you're quite wrestling with what we're saying, how we're saying it. My first question would be, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because we don't go what the world says. We go with the, what the Bible says. And we're called to be countercultural, which means we stand on God's word. It's inerrant. It's what we believe. So my first question to you, since you threw questions at us for the last four weeks, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, I want to challenge you today to make that a reality. Maybe you've come in here broken. Maybe you don't have all the answers. Maybe you're tired of struggling and you're just looking for help. At Sunrise Church, we simply say it's the ABCs of coming to Christ. You must first admit that you have a problem. You must admit that you can't figure it out. You must admit that you need help. It's to that submission and to that surrender that you begin to believe in something bigger than yourself. And we believe that person is Jesus Christ. And he is the only one that took all our payments away just so you can have a relationship with him. But that sounds good, but I want to talk about commitment. You must choose today to follow him all the way. If that's not your story, I want to make it your story today. It's just a simple prayer. You do it at the silence of your heart, uh, at the quietness of your heart. If we can all just close our eyes and bow our heads. You know who you are in here who do not have a relationship with him. You know who you are, who's battling and who's struggling with trying to get it together. If this is you, I want you just to silently pray this prayer with me. Lord, I'm broken. I need help. God, I believe that you sent your only son just for me. And today I receive him into my heart. Today, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Today, I commit to following him. Thank you, Jesus. That's my prayer. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word NEXT to the number 909-281-7797.
That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.